Well, good morning, church. That unchangeable, wonderful God, isn't he amazing? Today we're going to be talking about that unchangeable God and who he is and who he is to each of us. And specifically, I invite you all to turn in your Bibles to look at Acts chapter 17. And today we'll be looking at verses 16 through 34. And while you're all turning there, I wanted to ask you all a question. Have any of you ever felt like this God that we just sang about is so distant and so far away that he can't even properly be known? Or have you ever felt like you're so caught up in the day-to-day life of work or doing church, so to say, that we've completely forgotten who it is that we come and we worship and sing about every Sunday? Or perhaps you've been looking around at the world today and just seeing how messed up and lost that it really is and you're wondering, God, what on earth can I do to help with this situation? In this passage that we're about to read today, there's a group of people called the Athenians, and they have found themselves in a very very similar situation to what we see today. And hopefully by looking at these people and the way that Paul helps them through their situations, maybe we can get a glimpse into how we are supposed to handle our situations here today. So I would like to... to um, Look at Acts 17, but first let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for this day and this opportunity we have to come together into your house and to open up your word. What a wonderful thing that it is. And I do pray that you would please be with us, help us to be receptive of your word, help us to, um, as we look into it, have our hearts and minds open and be ready to be filled by what you have to tell us this morning. I pray that you would please be with me, give me confidence to share what your word has to say, and help the people here to leave changed and different than when they came in. We love you, and we ask this in your holy, precious name. Amen. All right, so this morning, let's go ahead and look at Acts 17, and we're going to be starting in verse 16. Now, Paul, now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him, when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Now we're going to stop right there because there's already a lot that we need to unpack in just that one verse. And before we touch into it, I would like to give you all a little bit of context as to what's happening in this passage so that we can understand what it's saying. This passage was written a couple hundred years after the Babylonian captivity where the Jews were released from slavery in Babylon by a Persian king who came and conquered the land. This section of the passage is um, during Paul's second missionary journey, right as he was leaving Thessalonica and Berea and on his way to the people of Corinth. And at the start of these verses, we see Paul, Paul had just sent out a letter to his friends Silas and Timothy asking for their assistance to come so they could all minister together in the city of Athens. And right here in verse 16, um, we see this verse, we see in this verse that it says, while he was waiting for Silas and Timothy, that his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Now, this word here, provoked, it actually means grieved. And the idea is that he was grieved in his spirit because he saw what was going on. He saw this city that was so corrupt and caught up in sin that it grieved him all the way into his soul. And this isn't the first time that Paul had encountered idolatry or people caught up in sin before. But the reason that this was so shocking to him was because just a couple years, a hundred years before then, God released these people from slavery, from captivity. 
and now they've just completely forgotten who God is, and they've decided to worship foreign gods. And Paul's um, concerned here, wondering, how can this be? And so, as we'll read here in just a couple of minutes, he decides to not wait for Silas and Timothy. He sees how very urgent and how um, terrible this situation is that these people have found themselves in. So, he's deciding to go ahead and go into the city. And right there alone, in verse 1, there's application to be made. Um, The sin that has corrupted the people of Athens, it's corrupting our world today, too. Our world and our country especially has given itself over to idolatry in so many different ways. It's not the same kind of idolatry that the people of Athens had found themselves in. I don't, I don't walk out on the street and see people building up statues to a giant fish and sacrificing animals to it. But there is still idolatry that goes on today. Idolatry in self-love and self-indulgence. Idolatry by worshiping celebrities, worshiping politicians or political parties. Or as we've been seeing in our culture recently, worshiping disorder and chaos and worshiping different social and political movements. So idolatry is prevalent in America today and in all over the world. And it's something that um, Paul gives us an answer to in this chapter And hopefully, by looking at how Paul handled this situation, we can see how to handle ours. So let's continue reading and looking at verses 17 and 18. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then certain Euphorians and Stoic philosophers encountered him and said, What does this babbler want to say? Others said, He seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preaches to them Jesus and the resurrection. So we see here that after Paul saw what was happening in the city, he immediately went to work beginning to preach and teach people about Jesus and about his resurrection. He went into their places of worship. He went into the synagogues, and he went right into where the people were, right into the marketplace where everything, where everybody was, where all the action was happening. He delved right in and um, got to work. Now, what I think is very interesting here is that we also see a bit of who Paul was as a person. Um, He could have just, when he was at the city gates and looking in and seeing what was happening, he could have just said, oh, well, these people have decided to turn themselves against God. Why should I waste my time trying to pull them out of the mud that they put themselves in? He could have went in and shamed them and rebuked them and scorned them for getting into the sin that they have. And he definitely did not get on Facebook and just decide to rant about the people and decide to just leave them in where they were and hide behind a little Facebook profile. What he did is he loved them and he preached to them and he got right there in the front lines where they were and were sharing love and sharing Christ Jesus with them. And unfortunately, I think that this, in my own observation, I think that this sense of love that we see Paul having... um, with the people of Athens, I don't see that often in our churches today. Many, many times I see Christians, professing believers, just washing their hands of the sin of the world, washing their hands of it and saying, this isn't my problem. The people have just decided to go into sin. They've decided to be slaves of sin. Why is it my responsibility to step in and help? But that's absolutely not what it's our call to do. And that's definitely not what Paul did here. He got in and he went to work. And so, I'm going off that, I remember being told as a young kid in Sunday school that you are to love the sinner and hate the sin. 
And that's something that we adults need to remember also, is that we can be disgusted and be horrified of the sin that we see in our world today, but we're not supposed to um, be disgusted and horrified of the sinner. We're to love them and to help them and to be there for them and to support them and show them the love that Christ showed us. That's what the Bible has commanded us to do. And going back to the text, let's, let's see exactly where this love that Paul showed the people of Athens, let's see where that got him because it takes him to a pretty cool place. Let's continue our reading in verses 19 through 21. And they took him and brought him to the Ephesus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak? For you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to learn or to hear something new. In this verse, um, Paul has just been called to the Ephesus, which is also the city leaders. So he's being called from the marketplace to go and talk to the leaders of the city. And here we also see a little bit more of the culture of the people of Athens and to help us get a little bit better of a picture of what's actually going on. Um, verse 21 says, for all, the Athenians, for all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but to either tell or to hear something new. This was what these people were known for. This was historically their whole shtick. They wanted to be the smartest and most knowledgeable people, knowledgeable people alive, and they spent all their time just learning and learning and learning and teaching what they had learned. And so we see here um, that when Paul was called to talk to the leaders, they didn't, they didn't conspire against him. They weren't sitting there trying to figure out how to kill the man that's coming in and bring these foreign gods like he had been threatened with so many times in so many other cities. These people were eager and they were hungry to learn about something new and something um, that they could grow by. And so they weren't hostile and trying to kick Paul out. They were eager. And now that Paul has gotten the attention of these people who are wanting to hear from him, let's look and see what he tells the leaders of these cities and see exactly what happens from here. In verses 22 through 24, Then Paul stood in the midst of the Ephesus, saying, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with the inscripturation to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. This is where things really begin to pick up. Paul tells the leaders of Athens that he can tell that they're um, very religious, and some Bible translations even use the words too religious. And I think that that can be used to describe a lot of people today who walk the walk of a Christian life, but um, just push themselves to be very religious people, religious people without knowing who God truly is. He goes on to say that he noticed when he was looking at the different idols that they worshipped, he found one with the inscripturation to the unknown God. He goes on to tell them that this unknown God that they have been worshipping, he knows who that God is, and he is the one that he's been proclaiming to them in the marketplace and in the um, synagogues. And so Paul is telling these people that the God that they don't know the name of, they can know his name, and better yet, hey, I know him. I'm willing to share him with you. He's not unknown. I know him. I would love to tell you more about him. And I think this is very important, and is the reason that it is so important is because that's where many of us are today. 
most of us in this room are like Paul in this scenario. We know who God is. We know what he has done for the world. We know what he has done for us. And now, like Paul, we are also given an opportunity to talk to people who might not know who he is. There are many people out there who know that there is a God, but they do not know him personally. I remember this time, my freshman year of college, I was doing a class called uh, Personal Evangelism. And as part of that class, we were required to do, I believe it was six hours worth of evangelizing a week in order to get a good grade in that class. And I remember one evening, some friends and, some friends and I decided to go out door-to-door evangelizing, just knocking on people's door and asking, hey, do you know Jesus? If not, we would love to tell you some more about him. And I remember this one house in particular, this big, beautiful white house, and we went and knocked up on the front door, and this older gentleman came and answered. And we told him who we were. We said, you know, we're from the Bible college down the street, and we would love to have a couple minutes to talk to you. And he told us that he was waiting for his grandkids, that he didn't have much time, but what little bit of time that he did have um, to give, he gave it to us. He opened his house and let us in and sat down with us, and we got to ask him about his spiritual life. I I remember asking him um, what he considered his spiritual life to be like, and I remember him smiling because he told us right before he answered, he's like, nobody has asked me that question or anything related to that in such a long time. And I remember him smiling and telling us that he grew up in church, that he used to go all the time, and that he's tried reading his Bible as much as he could, but it didn't make sense to him. He didn't understand what the Christian life was all about. He didn't understand what the Bible was all about, but he knew there was something there. And one of my friends um, that was there with us, she began to tell the gospel with that man, and right when she got done telling him about Jesus and his resurrection, his grandkids came down into the driveway, and unfortunately, we had to leave. But I remember him being so happy that we were there and willing to take the time to talk to him that um, it really made an impact on my life just to be able to see him have that reaction. This is just one example of a man who is hungry in our world today for God. He knew that there was something out there, but he just didn't know what, and he was hungry for it. He was excited that we were there to talk to him. We have the knowledge that people need, and we're able to feed them, so why don't we? So let's follow Paul here back to the text, and let's, let's follow Paul's lead here and share with the world what, he's looking, what, what the world is looking for. And let's look back in the text and continue with Paul at verses 24 through 31. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life and breath and all things and has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth, and has determined in their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As also some of our own poets have said, therefore we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think of the divine nature as like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by arts and man's devising. 
Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance to this by raising him from the dead. Now, that's a large chunk there, and there's a lot that we could unpack, and unfortunately, we don't have time, we don't have all day to unpack it, because that's what it would take. But there are, there is one thing in there that really stands out that we need to that we need to grasp more than anything else, and that's back at the final two verses in verse thirty and thirty one. And I would like to read those one more time for you. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because He has appointed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by the man who He has ordained. He has given assurance to this to all by raising Him from the dead. God has appointed a day on which he will judge the world. Now, to the lost people in the world, to everyone who does not trust on God, that is a very, very scary truth. And that is something that ought to terrify people. God is coming, and he is coming to judge sin. And for people who don't, haven't put, given their sin over to the cross, they haven't given their sin to Jesus, then they will be judged by God. And the scariest part about that is, It says that God has appointed a day when he will come. It doesn't say when. It doesn't say it'll be December of 2020. He doesn't tell us when this day will, will be. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be years from now. We don't know. And so that, that is the point that we need to be remembering as believers is that God is coming and we don't know when. And just like Paul had this sense of urgency here to talk to the people of Athens who were caught in sin, we need to have that same sense of urgency. People are lost and dying all around us, and unfortunately, they're not believers, and they are condemned to their sin. And, but we have this knowledge that people are looking for, so we have the responsibility to share that knowledge with people. <clears throat> I hope that this truth really digs in with each of you. I hope that you really see and really understand that, hey, I know God. I know that I know that he's coming. I don't know when, but when he does, hallelujah, I'll be carried up to heaven with him, and I'll be rejoicing with him for eternity. I hope that delights you, and I hope that makes you happy. It sure makes me happy, but I hope that also scares you a little bit because there are many people around us who aren't going to heaven with us if God were to come now. I know, I don't know about each of you, I imagine most of you can relate to this, but I have family, I have friends, I have loved ones who if God were to come back this instant, that'd be it for them. There's no hope behind that. And I hope that really does bother you in a sense. And I hope it really does dig into the fact that, hey, I know God, I have the opportunity to share him with people. Why don't I? Why am I not on the front lines? Why do I not have this sense of urgency, this grieving in my heart for people? And I, I would say that that is something that we need to have in each of our lives. Each of us need to be on these front lines sharing God with people because he is coming. We don't know when, but he is coming. That is a fact. And so I don't think we should waste any other minute. I think that we need to be on the front lines. And I'm preaching to myself here just as much as I am any of you all. I'm guilty of it too. I think that we need to have an urgent spirit about this. I think that we need to be out there winning souls for God so that when he does return, 
people are coming up to heaven with us. Now, let us take a look together at these final few verses and see what happened to Paul when he was bold enough to share the truth about Christ with these people. Let's look together at verses 32 through 34. And when he heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, We will hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed, among them Dionysus, Apharia, a woman named Demarius, and some others with them. Now this, in my opinion, is the very absolute best part of this whole passage. We began this passage by looking at Paul at the city gates, looking at these people with their sin. We moved on to seeing him in the marketplace and in the, with the leaders of the city, witnessing to them. And now we're seeing the fruit of his labor. Now we're seeing people come to know God and come to be saved. Of course, not everyone got saved right there on the spot, but some did. And it's because Paul realized that there was a need, and he got to work sharing the good news of Jesus with these people. And if it weren't for Paul taking the time to do this, then there is a chance that these people would have died in their idolatry and not believed in God. This is truly phenomenal news that Paul was able to take what he knew and share it with these people. And look at these verses again with me. When Paul spoke to the leaders of the city, they did not cast him out and beat him. No, they listened and told him to come back and talk to him about it again. You see, many times today, we do not take the opportunities that we are given to talk to people about God. Many times it's because of fear, fear of rejection, fear of persecution, fear of not being liked, any of those things, fear on any account. But it's because of fear that we don't witness the people most of the time. And these verses here don't say whether Paul was scared or not to talk to the people of Athens. It doesn't say whether he had any reservations about it. But even if he did, he worked past those fears, and people got saved because of it. We need to be doing that in our lives, too. Let's not allow fear to stop us from sharing God's news with people about Jesus and the resurrection. Maybe Maybe it won't end well like it did for Paul here, but maybe it will. Maybe we should all take the time to share with people and they will give us the time to listen. It's possible. So let's work past our fears because I think that it is something um, that we need to work, that we need to be doing for people. I would rather people, I would rather be scared and witnessing to people than be scared and knowing that when God returns, that person is not coming to heaven with me. The day that my friends and I went door to door evangelizing, I was really scared. I had never done anything like it before. I had never been out evangelizing on the street like that. I didn't feel like I was smart enough to answer people's questions about Jesus that they might have. And I definitely did not feel comfortable going up to complete strangers' houses, knocking on their door, and not knowing if there was something scary on the other side of that door when it opens. Um, Anything could have happened. But that day, my friends and I did not let our fears stop us from telling people about Jesus. We knocked on so many doors that day, and many of the people that answered, they opened, and we told them while we were there, and they just shut the door right in our faces. And that happens. But there is always that chance that someone like that old man that we got to talk to that day will open up their hearts and their minds and give you a chance to speak. So don't let fear hold you back. We do not want our fears to be the reason that somebody does not get saved. I'm very glad that 17 years ago, as a little kid in Awana, 
that my teacher, Miss Kathy, and her assistants, Ashley and Jeremy, weren't afraid to tell us kids about Jesus. Miss Kathy had every opportunity to just give in to her fears or her doubts. She could have just said, these kids aren't worth my time. They can't learn. They can't understand the truth about Jesus. Or why should I share, Why should I waste my time telling them about Jesus when they're just running around playing, staring at the clock, wanting to go home, wanting their snack? She could have said any of that stuff, but no, she decided that we were worth investing in. We were worth, pu- we were worth pushing past her fears and giving us her time to talk to us about Jesus. And it's for that reason, it's for that reason that Miss Kathy um, was able to push back her, past her fears and talk to us that I'm standing here today where I am. Who knows where I could have ended up if Miss Kathy did not do what she had done. And so I can tell you right now, I really appreciate her for pushing past her fears, and I know that somebody else out there could be doing the same for each one of us. Now, before we pray, I do want to challenge each of you with something. Perhaps there's someone here today that doesn't know God personally. Maybe you've been coming to church here for a while, and you've been doing the normal Christian or normal religious stuff, but you really don't know who this God is. He's an unknown God to you. I'm here to tell you today that this is something that we cannot let slip another minute. As we just talked about, we don't know when God's returning. It could be when all of us walk out these doors. We don't know. And so I would highly encourage each of you, don't let it be too late. If you are here this morning and you feel that you do not know who Jesus is, if you feel that you do not know who this God is that you've been worshiping this for, with us for a while, then I would invite you to please come talk to me. Please come talk to one of the pastors, another man in the church. Please come to one of us and just ask. We would love to talk with you about this. We would love to share with you who God is and that he does not have to be an unknown God to you. And if you are here today and you do know who God is, you're confident in that, you know who you wor- you worship, wonderful. I'm very happy for you. But now I really hope that you see this sense of urgency that Paul had to go out and tell people about it. Because we don't have eternity to talk to people. We don't know. And so I would highly encourage you to feel motivated. Take Paul as an example here. Use him as a model. Get to work. Get to action. And I'm talking to myself here too, people. We need to be on the front lines talking and witnessing to people. So don't take your knowledge and just hold it to yourself. Take it and share it with people because you never know what could happen. The world is hungry for Jesus just like that old man, just like the people of Athens. The world is hungry for knowledge. The world is hungry for salvation and for good news. Let's give that good news to them. Don't be afraid. Share it. You know it. Go out there and let's share the good news of God with people. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for this opportunity to be in your house this morning. I thank you for this word that we've gotten to look into. I thank you for Paul and for the work that he did with the people of Athens, this example that he gave. And I just pray that you would please work in each of our hearts, Lord, in whatever way we need it. I pray that people would leave here changed and different than when they came in. I pray that we would have a heart for lost people. I pray that we would have a heart for your message and who you are. And I pray that we would be very intentional. I pray that we would be very... um, I pray that we would love people enough to be able to go out and share you with them. 
And I just thank you so much for this wonderful church. I know these are wonderful people here, and I pray that you would please bless them this week and help us um, all to honor you. And Lord, I pray that you would give each of us opportunity to share you with people this week. Make it, make it happen, Lord, and help us to be bold and courageous enough to share you with people. We love you, Father, and we ask all this in your holy and precious name. Amen.